0: Philippians chapter one, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. American pastor Warren Weersby tells the, uh, of a time when he received great encouragement from someone that he had never met, whilst he himself was in hospital recovering from a serious car accident. And uh, Warren Weersby writes these words. I received a letter from a total stranger who seemed to know just what to say to make my day brighter. In fact, I received several letters from him And each was better than the one before. When I was able to get around, I met him personally and was amazed to discover that he was blind, a diabetic, handicapped because of a leg amputation, and since then has had the other leg removed, and that he lived and cared for his elderly mother. If ever a man was in chains, this man was. But if a man was ever free to pioneer the gospel, this man was. He was able to share Christ in high school assemblies, before service clubs, and before professional people in meetings that would have been closed to an ordained minister. That man's chains enabled him to further the gospel. It seems he didn't grumble about his situation, but he was willing to allow God to change his negatives into a positive, and that is what chapter 1 verses 12 through to 14 is all about that our amazing god is a god who changes negatives into positives now i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel whatever what has happened to me now if we read through Acts, which is, as we said last week, the history of the earliest church, of the early Christians, and we read through from Acts chapter 21 through to chapter 28, we are given a catalogue of events that occurred in Paul's life immediately before he wrote these words in his letter to the Philippian church. So let me recap, if you're not particularly familiar with that section of Acts. Paul, from the moment that he set foot in Jerusalem, he was falsely accused by his own people. He was nearly lynched by a religious mob. He ended up in Roman prison. He escaped the flogging by claiming and pleading that he was a Roman citizen. His whole case was a mockery of justice. He was insulted and ridiculed. There was a deadly plot against him. He was caught up in a storm at sea, resulting in a shipwreck leaving him at the mercy of the open seas. Uh, he eventually reached Rome, chained, and then he waited for two years for the decision of whether he would live or die whilst he was under house arrest. And he writes now, what has happened to me has actually, uh, has, has actually served to advance the gospel. Let's just stop there for a moment. I was taken by those words. And uh, they're words that reveal what sort of man Paul is. It reveals his heart, his focus, his passion. They're centred on the advance of the news of Jesus Christ, the gospel getting out there. His first question is not, God, why did you allow all these awful things to happen to me? And I just wonder if some of us had experienced what Paul had experienced, whether that would have been our first question. God, what are you playing at? Why? Why? Why is all this happening to me now? And sometimes, you know, if we're honest and we look at our own lives, we can come out with those sorts of questions. (coughs) Not Paul. He was far more concerned about the impact of the Gospel and he was someone who was totally single-minded. And we're going to just unpick what's happening here for a moment or two. And Paul informs us how his being in chains helped to serve uh, and advance the gospel. And he presents it uh, to us in two ways. Uh, Two ways in which God turned the negative, that is, the negative of his chains and being imprisonment into a positive that is advancing the gospel. In verse 13 there, he writes, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, Paul at this occasion was placed in a rented house. He was chained to a Roman soldier. In fact, the, the soldiers were part of the elite Praetorian guard who were the, uh, the guard of the emperor himself. They were the official bodyguards. And uh, it wasn't just one guard that Paul was chained to for the two years. The guards were on six hours at a time. So Paul was was chained uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and he was uh, chained for two years. And I imagine that he met a few guards in his time. Now, as you can imagine, or maybe not imagine, what it would have been like for someone, a Roman soldier, to be chained to the Apostle Paul six hours at a time. I think that that would have been an atheist worst nightmare, don't you? (coughs) You know, the sheer quality of his life, the friends who visited, the conversations that he had, (coughs) the prayers that he prayed, the letters that he wrote, must have had a phenomenal effect upon their outlook and upon their lives. Can you imagine being chained to a man who by his own admission, prayed without ceasing. They must have been amazed at his ability to be joyful in the midst of these great trials that he was experiencing. You see, Paul didn't know whether he was going to live or die and yet his life overflowed with joy. And for him to live was all about Jesus. And death was about being with Jesus. And I believe that his life must have had such an amazing impact upon these elite troops that were guarding him 24-7. And I can imagine, I don't know for certain, but I can well imagine that many of them would have come to faith during those two years. But then Paul says, and to everyone else. And I had to think about this, who was he referring to here? I believe that this everyone else that he is referring to were Caesar's court. You see, Paul was in Rome. He was an official prisoner. And his case was a very important one. This was a test case. Uh, and the Roman government were going to decide and determine the official status of this Christian sect. Was Christian just an off- Christianity just an offshoot of the Jewish religion? Was Christianity dangerous to national security? Was it some strange and weird new religion that would destabilize the nation? And the best brains in Caesar's court were needed to seriously study this Christian teaching and then they could make a judgment on it. And I imagine that Paul would have had a right chuckle to himself knowing that all of these court officials, all the legal bods of his day, We're all there studying Christian doctrine in order to make a decision on him and a decision on Christianity itself. Now, just think for a moment, if we were left to devise the best way of advancing the gospel, do you think that that would have been it? Really? I don't. You know, in fact, I can almost guarantee you that none of us would have included Paul being locked up for two years as perhaps the best way of advancing the Gospel. We would argue that Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, to these non-Jews, needed to be out there, going from city to city, to share the good news of Jesus, and yet, Things that on the outside appear to be damaging and negative to us can on times be a part of God's great plan and purpose for us. That is so important, I'm going to say it again. that things that on the outside appear to be damaging and negative to us can on occasions be part and parcel of God's great plan and purpose for our lives. I love those words from Isaiah, chapter 55, where the Lord says, "'For my thoughts are not your thoughts, "'and my ways are not your ways, "'as the heavens are higher than the earth, "'and are my ways higher than your ways, "'and my thoughts higher than your thoughts.'" And in a sense, we need to admit this morning that we are pretty puny, really. Uh, you know, how little we truly understand the mind and the wisdom and the heart of God. Paul writes in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the foolishness of God, if you could ever speak of such a thing, is infinitely wiser than man's wisdom. But Paul wasn't finished there. There was yet another way in which this gospel was to be advanced. And in verse 14, he writes, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, many of the Christians in Rome at that time saw what was happening to Paul and instead of them being discouraged, it had the actual opposite effect upon them. They were encouraged. They were encouraged to speak more boldly and more fiercely and uh, more courageously. Nikki Gumbel, in his book, A Life Worth Living, tells the time that he heard a Chinese Christian named Pastor Chang uh, speak at a conference. And this is what uh, Nicky Gumbel writes. He says, this well-educated Ch- uh, Christian leader had spent 18 years in a Chinese labor camp for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. In prison, he had been given the job of working in a human waste cesspool it was so deep that he had to get into it in order to empty it. And because of the smell, the other prisoners and guards kept away. Pastor Chang said that he enjoyed the solitude. I could pray to our Lord as loud as I needed and loudly recite the scriptures and the psalms and loudly sing also the hymns. He said that he had wonderful fellowship together with our Lord. None other has known such joy. The cesspool became my private garden. And then Nicky Gumbel says that uh, everyone who heard Pastor Chang speak that evening was encouraged to speak the word of God more boldly and fearlessly. <coughs> As a young Christian um, in the late 1970s, I remember hearing Richard Vermbrand speak at a Baptist church in Swansea. Now, Richard Vermbrand was imprisoned in Romanian cells for a number of years, and uh, he, simply because he was a Christian. He was left in a cold, dark cell, hungry, very much in rags. And yet he says that he danced every night for joy. And sometimes that he was so filled with joy that he thought that he would burst unless he gave it expression. He also told in that time when I heard him of how the Roman- in, in the Romanian prison, he willingly exchanged beatings by the soldiers for opportunities for the gospel, sharing the gospel message with other prisoners. And he received many beatings. And also he had the wonderful opportunity to lead many of those prisoners to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear such stories as that, they don't bring me discouragement. I don't think to myself, Well, being a Christian is pretty dangerous, don't you think? I'd better keep quiet. Not at all. Such stories, I think, touch our hearts, they quicken our spirits, and they make us far more courageous and fearless than we were previously. Stories like that want or cause me to become far more serious about my faith. And that's exactly what was happening in Rome. For Paul writes, what has happened to me? has served to advance the gospel. And the gospel was advanced in the lives of the Roman guards who, who Paul was chained to. It was advanced through the administrators and the legal system in um, Caesar's court. And it was also advanced through Paul's fellow Christians becoming bolder and more courageous. Someone once said this, and I'm sure you've come across this before, some, uh, that life is 10% of what happens to us And 90% the way that we react to it. And I think that Paul himself would have agreed with that particular statement. And, uh, you know, in human terms, in natural terms, he had very little to um, be positive about. He was in chains. He was guarded 24-7. He didn't know whether he was going to live or die. But his chains did not limit him. Paul didn't wait until he was released from prison and from from his chains to be useful, but he made the most of every opportunity where he was. He spoke to the guards, he prayed, he wrote letters to others. Four of those letters have been included in our New Testament, which has changed the course of history. And some of you might feel that you are chained this morning. You feel that you are chained in some way, maybe by circumstances. Some of you might feel that you are chained by illness, chained by young children, chained to the sink, chained to that job, chained to that financial situation. And you might have said, when my circumstance is chained, when I am unchained, then I will be useful to God. But God says, now is the time. Serve God where you are. And Christian history is filled with some wonderful stories of, uh, of people, despite their chains, who've been used amazingly by God. And I would encourage you, yes, read your Bible daily, get into the scriptures, but also read Christian biographies or autobiographies of Christians down through the ages. People who have, um, just ordinary people, people like you and me, and yet they have been used in extraordinary ways by God. Many Christians have heard of uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, um, famous Baptist preacher of another generation, and uh, known as the Prince of Preachers. But many, not many people knew of his wife, Susanna. In the early days of uh, married life, she became disabled, and she was chained, if you can use those words, to a wheelchair, but that did not make her useless. Uh, She had the burden for sharing her husband's book with church leaders and uh, People who couldn't afford them and she made it possible and she founded the book fund and Gave thousands and thousands of books away to church leaders up and down the land people that couldn't afford them There was another Susanna from history Susanna Wesley who was chained in a very different way She was chained to her role as housewife and mother. Uh, Incidentally, she had 19 children. 19 children before the days of Farley's Rusks and uh, disposable nappies. It also appears they didn't have a television. Come on, 19 kids, get it. But she prayed for a family and she was a great example to them in the Lord. And from her family, two of her boys, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, a great revivalist in the UK, and Charles Wesley, whose hymns that we still sing today two great men. I could tell you stories of people like Fanny Crosby, who was chained by blindness from the age of six weeks. She was used uh, by God as a prolific writer of hymns and gospel songs. We still sing her songs today. She wrote 8,000 of them. That's more than Hillsong Worship Central, Graham Kendrick and Stuart Townend put together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a full of glory divine. To God be the glory, great things he has done. In all of these are probably known to us. And yet from six weeks old, she was blind. And yet she gave herself to God. She did what she could. Johnny Erickson Tada, chained to a wheelchair, became paralyzed from the shoulders down in a diving accident in Chesapeake Bay in 1969. She hasn't allowed her chains to limit her life and usefulness to God. And she has touched the lives of countless people through her songs, through her work as an artist, on radio, and television. She has written more than 50 books. She is an advocate for, for the disabled, she's been awarded six honorary doctorates incredible incredible <coughs> lady nick Vujicic was born without any limbs except a small foot with two toes which he rather humorously calls his chicken drumstick you've probably heard that before Uh, Nick didn't have any control over the way that he was born, he didn't have any control over his physical handicap, the family that he was born to didn't have control over his life circumstances. The only thing that he had control over was his choices, his power to choose. And uh, whilst uh, growing up he found it exceptionally difficult to overcome this massive disability as a child. And at the age of 10 he confesses that he um, tried to commit suicide. But since then, he has given his life and lived his life to the full. Chose not to be hampered by his disability. He learned how to swim and surf, as you can see from that photograph, and type and cook and 101 other things. Set up a pro- non-profit organisation at the age of 17. He has written half a dozen books. He learned to write using two toes on his left foot learned to throw tennis balls, get a glass of water, comb his hair, brush his teeth, answer the phone and shave. He has a university degree in accountancy and financial planning, and he goes around the world telling people about Jesus and his love for them. He has visited 57 countries and has spoken to over six million people. He's married, he married the love of his life, a beautiful Japanese American a few years ago, and they have four children. Two sons in the photograph there, and uh, identical twin daughters he is thirty five years old crammed a lot in hasn 't he and in a sense i don 't want to wish uh, don 't wish to embarrass anyone here this morning, but there are people within our own church family people who have not allowed their chains to stop them being used useful for God and to advance the gospel and I think that they are to be commended and I say I don't want to name people by names but I just thank God for you for the way that you have chosen not to continue to be chained but to serve the purposes of God in spite of your circumstances. So tempting isn't it you know for us to say we'll serve God when we are released from those chains that hinder us or when the circumstances are better. But God desires that we make the most of every opportunity in our lives now. You see, with God in the equation, negatives can become positives so easily. I just want to illustrate this to you in a game of chess. The aim of the game of chess is to trap your opponent's king so that the opponent's king cannot move. And that is called, as most of you know, checkmate. But before that happens, a player's king might be threatened by an opposing piece. And it is spoken of as in check. In check is not the end of the game because there's still opportunity to move the king to another space. But when there are no spaces left in which the king can move, it's then checkmate. It's then the end of the game and the king is captured. Now, I just want you to run with me for a few moments. Just imagine a game of chess between God and his enemy Satan. And I know that we can't take this illustration too far because we're not helpless pawns uh, who are a part of some kind of celestial game going on up there, that we are beloved children, that God is a part and a plan and a purpose for our lives. So, so please don't you know, focus too much of your theology on this illustration. But let's just run with it for a moment. There are times in this heavenly chess game where Satan appears to have the upper hand. It appears that he's winning. He thinks that things are going his way and he calls out to God, Check! One such example is found in the verses that we're looking at this morning. Paul, this mighty apostle to the Gentiles, God's man in reaching non-Jewish people is thrown in prison. His wings have been clipped. His ministry is curtailed. He is being prevented from being a missionary to other lands. Satan smirks with pleasure and calls over to God, Check! But the God who turns negatives into positives with one move turns Satan's check into God's checkmate. What has happened to me has served to advance the Gospel. And when you think through the stories of the Bible, Think of the times it looked as if Satan had won, but, but he hadn't. Study the occasions when God's men or women had been apparently taken out of the game, they'd been sidelined, they'd been defeated, but then with one move, God turns that situation around from check to his own checkmate, Joseph. Joseph. I'm sure most of you know the story of Joseph. Even if you're new to the Christian faith, I'm sure you've heard of Joseph's uh, uh, amazing technicolor dream court. God's chosen vessel, who was sold as a slave, was thrown into prison, was falsely accused, was forgotten for some years in prison. And Satan, in a sense, says, check. But God laughs at Satan's attempts and reminds the cupbearer of Joseph, the man who interprets dreams. And with one move, Joseph is installed to the position that God had for him all along. And God says, checkmate. Joseph later said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. What about the story of Paul and Silas? We mentioned last week that the time when they were thrown into the Philippian prison for delivering a slave girl from the demon that controlled her life. They were severely flogged, they were put into inner cells. And I can imagine Satan on that occasion whispering, Check! But at that moment when all seemed lost, God sent an earthquake to release his men and caused the Philippian jailer to ask, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Checkmate. Nice one, God. I'm sure Satan didn't see that one coming. What about Peter? The one that Jesus prophesied would become the rock upon which the church would be built. The man who said that he would die for Jesus. The one who claimed that even though the others might disown Jesus, he would not. He would be with Jesus to death. Actually disowned Jesus three times. I can imagine Satan muttering something about not getting the staff these days. But Before he says to God check. But God had other plans. There was another day coming for Peter when he would meet Jesus for breakfast one morning and Jesus would reinstate him to be the leader of the church that Jesus always planned he would be. Peter never denied the Lord again and remained faithful to the end. Checkmate. You see, God loves turning negatives into positives. He loves turning Satan's check into his own checkmate. And the greatest example, I think, of Satan's false dawn was the day that every demon in hell rejoiced when Jesus, God's son, Messiah, was tortured and hung on a cross to die. The evil one must have rubbed his hands in glee To see this battle that he'd won with the Son of God broken and bruised crying out to his father my God my God why have you forsaken me and then as he breathed his last all hell must have had a party how Satan must have laughed at the sight of the Son of God in frail flesh hanging on the cross in apparent weakness and shame stating it is finished Satan thought it was finished well enough he thought he'd won but it was only check Luke chapter 24 on the first day of the week very early in the morning the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb they found the stone rolled away from the tomb but when they entered they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were th- while they were wandering about this suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them in their fright The women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Checkmate. Hallelujah. So you may say, What on earth this morning has this got to do with me? Three challenges that I leave with you. Challenge number one. Do not... Despise your chains. Do not despise that that difficulty and that trial. <coughs> Don't doubt God's goodness, or bemoan your lot. Don't do that. Rather, why not ask the Lord? Lord, how is what is happening to me just now going to s- serve Your purposes in this world? How is it going to serve and advance the gospel? Acknowledge that the Lord can turn your negatives into a positive. Ask the Lord for spiritual insight and for faith to believe that that he can and will use your pain or your trial for good, for ultimate good. So challenge one, don't despise your change. Challenge two, Remember that today is God's day. Don't look to the future saying that you will serve the Lord when you can be freed from your present circumstances. I've heard this many times. Uh, Lord, one day when I finish my exams, then. Lord, when the kids have grown up. (laughs) Lord, when I've retired. Lord, when I get married. When, 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 when. Paul had everything go against him. He was imprisoned but he didn't wait for things to get better he just served god where he was and through the experiences that he circum that he the circumstances that he experienced and today is the day for us to be used by god because it's the only day that we can guarantee so challenge one do not despise your chains challenge two today is god's day and challenge three remember That every every situation we, we face, never mind how difficult that situation might be, it is only check. God has won the game. He is the ultimate one. He is the victor. And God's ultimate checkmate is yet to come. And that's why... Paul can write so confidently in Romans chapter 8. What a great chapter that is. One of the great chapters in the Bible. I consider, he writes, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. A few verses later in verse 31. If God is for us, then who can be against us? A few verses further on, verse 37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to know this morning that God is in the business of changing negatives into positives. And God can do that in your life today. That transition starts, I believe, when we choose to trust Him and when we acknowledge His goodness and we affirm the truth that He is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us. Our final song in a moment, and guys, if you'd like to come back, is going to be Voice of Hope. And in this song, there are just great words. And I want us this morning to use these words As our prayer and also as a declaration of truth as high as the heavens are above the earth so high are your ways to mine ways so perfect they never fail me I know that you are good all the time and then in the next verse it says this and through the storm yet I will praise you despite it all yet I will sing through good and bad Yet I will worship, for you remain the same king of kings. Now, those words, if you can sing those words this morning, those are words of faith and trust. And they acknowledge, irrespective of circumstances and regardless of storms of life, they acknowledge that he is still on the throne. He still remains the king of kings. They are saying that I will place my faith and my trust in God in his goodness and in his grace. And I think that that this morning is the challenge. And maybe that some of you are looking and praying for a breakthrough in your life. You recognize this morning, and even when I started talking about chains, you knew full well how that applied to your life. Well, it's time this morning, I believe, to be released from whatever those chains might be. And be useful to God. And to serve him and to serve the purposes of God in your generation. And I believe that in this place this morning, there can be a sense of stepping up to a new level and a new place with God. And I just, I'm just i excited actually by what God potentially can do amongst us today. And through the storm, yet I will praise you. Despite it all, yet I will sing, through good and bad, yet I will worship, for you remain the same king of kings. I tell you what, there needs to be a yet in our Christian vocabulary. Just look at the the three times that that appears in the song. There needs to be that yet in our Christian vocabulary because sometimes we can so focus on the stuff that is holding us down that we're not even aware that we serve a God that can release us to do great things and to know his presence and power in our lives. Would you stand with me please?